Hello and welcome to episode 74 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined today by Dan Club, Chloe Bloxham and the founder of Copouts, Paul Aman. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about the LGBT plus fan experience of supporting Liverpool. And like I said in the intro, to do that, we're joined by the founder of Cop Outs, Paul Aman. So thanks very much uh, for coming on, Paul. And I think what makes this episode especially timely is that uh, the British uh, LGBT Awards uh, were held, I think it was uh, at the weekend, um, and Klopp um, made some comments there. And I actually watched the video earlier, and they seemed to go down uh, really well. You know, there was a lot of uh, applause in the room, and he got a great reception. Um, and one of the things he said was that wearing the rainbow laces, um, which are obviously a symbol of, of support uh, for Pride for the whole season, is his way of, of showing support. Um, and he was actually nominated himself uh, in the Celebrity Ally um, of the Year category at the awards. So I guess just to start start with him um, before we move on to you know the club and the fans more generally, how important of an ally do you think Klopp has been on an individual level since, since he arrived in 2015? I think Jürgen has been an absolutely outstanding ally. Um, he's put himself forward, um, done things that he didn't have to do. He's chosen to engage with people like Malika from the women's team. He's chosen to engage with myself from Cop Outs. Um, he's spoken um, at the virtual prides that have been held over the last couple of years. And he's made sure that, you know, as a leader at LFC, that he has absolutely, you know, stuck his colours to the mast and said, I'm here as an ally. This is what my values are. And my values are to be an ally to LGBT plus people. But he's not alone. We've also had Jordan Henderson, Billy Hogan, and the previous chief executive, Peter Moore, Matt Beard from the women's team, James Milner, Virgil van Dyke, Reese Williams, Joel Matip, and others across the club who have stepped forward at different occasions and stated very clearly, very publicly, that they believe that there's no space for homophobia or transphobia. Um, so, yeah, I think he's he's building on what others in the team and others at LFC are about. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, um, as we've always said, Klopp just understands this city. He just gets Liverpool and this is another part of it. Um, the inclusiveness, uh, the the fact that he's going out there and actually putting himself out there. And um, you obviously met him in the early part of last season. Um, to discuss a chance that happens at the Norwich game, which I won't say, but um, it, it shines a light on it and um, I think it needs to be said. Um, how did that come about? Yeah, I've been working with the club on getting rid of that chant for a number of years. I think I first raised it in about 2012. And when I first raised it, my fellow fans on the supporters committee um, didn't even recognise what the issue was with the chant until I explained. And at that point, um, it really was a matter of conversations to highlight that it does cause offence, but also to try and work with the club as to ways in which we can try and get rid of it. Um, Principally, we did that through Spirit of Shankly and other allies and social media. 
to just try and highlight the fact that it's an offensive chant, there's no space for it, and we've got plenty enough positive chants and songs. Um, at the beginning of the season, we were playing in that Norwich game, and I became aware that there was a big section of the LFC away fans who chose to chant that, and I was so disappointed. It was the first, I think it was the first match with fans back, and to have that spoil, unfortunately, was pretty gutting because it's brilliant to hear the voice of fans at the game. And you know, after last season when we had no fans able to go properly, it was a real, real blow to have that marred by some fans choosing to chant something so homophobically at um, the young player. So I tweeted about it from Cop Outs and the club got in touch straight away. They said, you know, how do you want us to handle this? We can retweet what you've said. We can, you know, make it very clear that there's no space for this. I said, sure, you know, retweet it. And they did. And it's fair to say there was about 50-50 um, support on social media. Social media is all obviously a vacuum um, in its own place that people will sometimes act up far more than they would elsewhere. But it was disappointing to think that people in, who had followed the club weren't prepared to listen to themselves as fellow fans or indeed the club asking them not to chant that particular chant. So it was about a week later um, the club contacted me and said, Paul, are you available to come along to the AXA training ground? Um, you know, in a couple of days' time, I says, uh, yeah. Will you be prepared to take a COVID test on the door? Sure. And actually, when I said yes to all of that, they then said, well, we want you to meet somebody from the club and sit down. And then it then turned out that it was going to be sitting down with Jürgen in front of camera and then doing the piece that we did. Um, that was quite surreal, not least because Virgil van Dijk popped up just before the interview and uh, just popped his head around and came over, shook me hand and said, you know, just wanted to express my solidarity with you on behalf of the, the rest of the team and want to make sure that, you know, you and Cop Outs understands that none of, nobody in the side, nobody in the club wants to have that sort of chant taking place. And we want to make sure that all our fans are welcome. So that was fantastic. Nearly put me off my stride, but um, sat down with Jürgen and we went and did the piece to camera. Um, it was done in one take. They said they could re revisit any part of it if, if we wanted to. I think Jürgen and I were happy with what we had to say. And then it went out a couple of days later. And yeah, it was pretty crazy to have so many people then responding um, to seeing me chatting with Jürgen. But amazingly, what happened then was it became 90%, 10%. Um, you know, we, we moved from a pretty even split to actually the vast majority of fans getting it. And then immediately afterwards, we had the Chelsea game. And whilst there was sporadic chanting around the ground in, in concourses running up to the game, we were able to hear it being shut down by 
decent fellow fans who felt empowered to tap people on the shoulder or to sing positive stuff over that chant and make sure that actually LFC and Anfield were genuinely a much more welcoming space than it might have been. Yeah, and you can see there from the 50-50 to the 90 to 10% how important it is for these individuals who have such a massive platform um, and have so, like, the idolised and uh, the putting the voices to good use. Um, they're so important for this community to stand up, um, to be a part of it, to be an ally. It isn't just good for the fans, but it's also good for anyone inside that squad who may be a part of the LGBTQ plus community and at the moment doesn't feel safe enough or for whatever reason doesn't feel like they can express themselves. Hopefully that will change in the in the near future. Hopefully um, Liverpool, hopefully the rest of football and football fans can create this safe place where everyone can just feel like they can be themselves. But you mentioned Jürgen Klopp there, you mentioned Virgil van Dijk. Can you feel when speaking to them how genuine they, they feel about this issue, how passionate they are? Um, and how much they actually really want to support and be vocal. Virgil van Dijk took his own time to pop his head around the corner and come in and say hello. Um, there was nothing fake, there was nothing manufactured about it. He he knew that this was an issue that had come uh, to the club and he knew that he had um, the ability to make a difference. Um, Jürgen is an incredibly focused guy when you meet him one-to-one. Um, it's fair to say that he um, he wanted to get his head around what the issue was. We spoke um, privately ahead of the cameras rolling. Um, he, under- he, he got it really quickly and he was like, nah, there's, there's no space for that. What do we do? What do I need to do? How do I, how do I address this? How do I persuade our decent fans to do the right thing? And so we did the interview. Um, and then Jordan Henderson popped in afterwards. Um, that's the point at which I completely fanboyed because massive Hendo fan. And he, again, like Jürgen, an incredibly focused, driven individual who didn't have to pop in, didn't have to do anything, but actually he chose to because, as you've probably seen on his socials over the years, he is massively anti-bullying and you know he just wants to make sure that fans and people feel safe in general so to have him do that off his own back was just brilliant yeah 100% Paul Um, and it's great to hear that so many of the playing staff and of course Jürgen Klopp himself are behind um, eradicating the issue from from the stands really I suppose is the best way of putting it um and like you say, I remember it being, I vividly remember it being a talking point and then it kind of being shut down in stadiums from there on out, which is which is so good and so good to hear. Um, so obviously, by the sounds of it, you know, you're pleased with the way the club handled the issue. Um, how, how would you sort of summarise how they did so? And would you suggest it's an important moment, the fact that it was raised and it was such a talking point and the club was able to do something about it and, and have an impact on the fans. Is that is that a big thing? It's a massive thing. I mean, you know, the club's got this power to speak to its own fans. And I think in a city like Liverpool, you know, you could have community leaders say something, you could have the city council or the police say something. Yeah. 
And people very often will say, so what? You have, you know, Liverpool FC say something and you have your own cap- club captain and a guy like Jurgen Klopp who gets the city so well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a huge difference um, to have to have that support in a way which is authentic, that's real, that recognises that the values of our city and the values of our club are better than that. Mm. You know, and, and he absolutely gets it. Yeah, it's brilliant, like you say. It certainly seems to have, have done the trick, for want of a better expression. Hopefully, you know, we certainly wouldn't say we've eradicated it completely yet. And like Chloe mentions correctly, hopefully in time to come, we can make it a safe space for everybody, even in terms of a playing style. I know we've had Jake Daniels recently um, come out as the first professional footballer, I think I'm right in saying, hopefully that's another step in the right direction. Um, so moving on from that then, Liverpool, we've already spoken about the work they've done on that individual issue, but when it works with Red Together, its initiative, um, that was nominated for Marketing Campaign of the Year recently, um, and the club's Senior Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Manager, Vichy Jane, was shortlisted for Business Ally. Um, would you suggest that Liverpool... And I've actually spoke to um, Chase from Merseyside Marauders on this issue previously. Um, and I know he'd spoken to Liverpool as a football club about the work they could do together as well. Um, so would you suggest that Liverpool are one of sort of the, the standard bearers in this in this field, if you like? Totally. Um, LFC have, at you know, the prompting of its communities, um, you know, with... with Groups like Cop Outs and Mercy Marauders, where I used to play alongside oh, really, yeah. <laughs> many years ago. Um, you know, we, we've we been pushing the club to, um, and other bodies around the city region to take a stance, to show, you know, their support and solidarity with us. Because, we, you know, we've got a real issue of homophobia and transphobia in our city. And when we get the club to listen, we spell it out in such a way that there, there can't be an argument for doing the right thing. And we spell it out in a way that, you know, the club knows that actually, if it wants to be true to its values um, of, of respecting people, of including people, then it's got to make sure that it's doing something to address the issues of homophobia and transphobia and biphobia in our city region. and. LFC were the first club in the world to march at a Pride event. Um, that was after I invited them to do so back in 2012. And they marched and then other clubs have followed. And they, you know, it's arguable that a club like Liverpool has got the ability to reach places that other voices just wouldn't be heard. And if that can be something to be harnessed to get rid of you know, the scourge of homophobia, then, yep, I will gladly leverage the club to do more of that. Well, there was one thing that, that Chloe mentioned um, earlier on, which I think it is quite important, about sort of the values of Liverpool as a city. And, you know, in various other departments, the club maybe haven't always, you know, aligned with those or lived up to them. It's obviously encouraging to hear that in this case they are, um kind of pushing for it and and like you say they are very much at the forefront as well but clearly there are kind of two levels to this in terms of the club 
and almost the kind of corporate level um, and, you know, the key figures around the club, but also it's, you know, about the support as well, because, you know, the club community. So obviously you can't, and I won't ask you to speak for the experiences of, of too many individual fans beyond yourself, but what sort of, of feedback have you had as kind of the founder um, of the, of cop outs in terms of the experience that fans are having um, inside Anfield and the environment, because football can be, you know, there is kind of a lot of toxic masculinity in football and sometimes that can manifest itself in quite a negative way um, among supporters. So yeah, what kind of, of feedback have you had on the whole? Overwhelmingly positive, I'll be honest. Um, I know of lots and lots of Cop Outs members. You know, we've got thousands to follow us on Twitter and Facebook for sure, but we've got 320 plus signed up uh, as formal members of Cop Outs. Many of them will go the game and, you know, tell ourselves at Cop Outs about their experience. And sometimes we will support individuals to go to their very first games at Anfield, which is always a special time. You know, we always remember our first match. And we've had recently, um, and, you know, I've had a chat with her about this and she's more than happy for her story to be heard. But Emily, a young trans girl who was scared of going to Anfield and her mum was scared for her to go to Anfield because she'd faced lots of bullying and still faces lots of bullying. And as for many trans people, they fear particularly the risk of what might possibly be a baying mob. But actually, her experience of going to Anfield was, as uh, somebody who saw her there, I didn't see her stop smiling. You know, she was absolutely made up to be there. And she did get a good reception and welcome from her fellow fans. And she just felt as part of the crowd as anybody. And that's the feedback we're getting is that our fans are making people genuinely welcome. And I would say that if there's anybody who is scared or apprehensive about going to the game because they're LGBT+, then they can get in touch with us at Cop Outs. If we can, we will go along the match with you. We'll make sure that, you know, we've got your back. And actually, because we're increasingly well-known amongst other fans, we find that other decent fans, the 90% plus majority, will also have your back. These are the ones who shut down the derogatory chants. These are the ones who step forward on social media and say, no, this is something that we're prepared to support to get rid of homophobia from our club and make sure that Anfield is a safe space for all fans. It's obviously, you know, really uplifting um, to hear that, and especially that, that story that you mentioned. And it, it's almost a, a two-way street in a way, you, you'd like to think, because, you know, you have these sort of key figures at the club, the role models who, who are sending the right messages. But also, you know, Liverpool as a city is, you know, you know, prides itself on its inclusivity as well. So you'd like to think that the club would, you know, not only... Not only would fans encourage each other, but they'd also, you know, push the club if they felt that the club was was almost, you know, slacking in any way. But um, seeing as we're, so, we're sort of ahead of schedule, uh, really, with our questions, there's a couple of other things, I guess, that have just arisen um, that it'd be good to kind of talk about before we finish. Um, social media, really, not something that kind of occurred to me in the first place, but 
if you look at sort of any post from Liverpool FC or a big Liverpool fan page about, say, the Rainbow Laces campaign or something like that, a lot of the time they're having to turn off their replies essentially or limit them because of basically some vile things that are going to, are going to be said in the reply section. Do you sort of see that as, because you mentioned before, like how reflective do you think that is of the, the footballing environment? Or do you think that's just kind of this own sort of social media sphere, which is kind of its own little toxic bubble. And that in reality, like, like you mentioned before with that kind of, I guess, you know, the, the incident that we spoke about earlier, you know, you mentioned it was 50-50 in the first place as well. So I guess it's not perfect even away from these kind of online trolls. So how do you sort of see the, the social media situation? I mean, social media is its own little space. It's not truly reflective of wider society. And we've we've identified um, cop-outs and other Pride in Football groups have identified um definite troll accounts who spew out exactly the same messages in response so some of it is quite orchestrated um, um sort of like far-right bots and stuff like that that are just simply regurgitating vileness um, so you can almost discount some of that what it does do and i'd urge anybody who follows social media to do this is it gives you the opportunity to report it, to block them and to shut them down. And actually, if more of us take the time to deal with the trolls, then actually their voices will get much, much less. When they're amplified by, um, you know, just a few of them that are amplifying each other, they try and make out that there's, you know, so much um, anti-LGBT plus sentiment actually there isn't and when you look at the ratio of um of who's liking positive posts to who's liking negative posts you'll see that actually that it is that kind of 90 percent 10 percent um and it is really up to the 90 percent to not be quiet to not be bystanders but to actually take a stand um We've had situations last year on the streets of Liverpool where we've had kids, LGBT plus kids, left battered, bruised and bleeding on our street. And I'd like to think that more people in our city region would be prepared to stand forward and support somebody who was being attacked or who had just been attacked and make sure that they got to safety and make sure that they were helped rather than just walking on by. We've got a great city, we've got some great communities, and sometimes we just need to remind people that they've got a responsibility as well to help keep it good. Yeah, I think there was um, that bit of a, a, a spate um, of incidents, um, certainly for what I saw, which was obviously pretty horrific. But in terms of kind of individual like proactivity, you know, I think the thing that you actually say about reporting it is quite important in a way, because I'll be honest, when I see that and and i know what the replies are going to be like i'll almost not click on it to spare myself having having to see it whereas it might actually be the better thing to do to actually you know click on it but then just report the accounts and and that might be the best way to go about it so i think that like that is probably a really good piece of advice but and i guess as well just to add something else like you talk about you know people like emily being a bit you know afraid 
to you know to go to Anfield and I'm worried about what might happen. Well, you'd kind of hope that social media and that doesn't give a warped view of what it's actually like because of like you say the, the different proportions. But yeah, just one more thing really. Um, and it's kind of broadening it out a bit from Liverpool. Obviously, we know that there are a couple of clubs in the Premier League who are owned by effectively owned by by states where um homosexuality is unlawful. Um and one of those has, has gone through very recently uh, in Newcastle. How, I mean, as, as supporter groups, and I know you'll have communication with other supporter groups as well. And, you know, who's to say that in the future, Liverpool wouldn't be subject to a bid from Saudi Arabia or, or one, of those, one of these Middle Eastern states? How concerning is it that the Premier League doesn't seem to view this at the moment as a disqualifier? It's just, it's a disgrace. I mean, we've had this talk of a fit and proper person test for being a director of a company, for being involved with football. And it's absolutely clear that these are organizations, states, countries, whatever you want to call it, who are fundamentally opposed to human rights. And we are a country that prides itself on human rights. So why on earth are we allowing our national sport to be infiltrated by people who do not respect human rights, who execute, you know, 189 people, um, who subjected a young man for wearing a pair of shorts to three years imprisonment, and I think it was 180 lashes. This is a country, Saudi Arabia, that you know, like to see me dead. Um, why they are allowed to own anything in this country is beyond me. Um, we've, we shouldn't be pandering to states like that. We should be engaging with them to educate them and to educate the people, because actually I think, you know, the governments aren't going to necessarily change, but the people in those countries should be engaged with, to have it explained that these things, you know, this sort of bigotry, this sort of hatred actually has no place even in their religious texts. It doesn't say anywhere in the Quran, the Bible, or the Torah, or indeed any other religious script that you should hate LGBT plus people. Sure, it may condemn homosexual acts, but it also condemns the wearing of two different types of fiber. It also condemns the eating of shellfish, etc., etc. So, People really do need to respect the fact that this, in this country, we do regard human rights highly, and to have our national sport being, you know, taken away from us chunk by chunk by states and countries that don't respect our values of respect and dignity to each other, there's something wrong there. We need to have a much stronger FA and Premier League stance against anybody who isn't a fit and proper owner of a football club, and whether it's Gillette and Hicks, or whether it's the UAE, Dubai, Saudi Arabia, or whoever, they shouldn't be here. And it's interesting what you say about the idea that, you know, obviously the British government has close links with the Saudi government in itself, and sometimes that gets used by, you know, supporters of these clubs to say, look, this is just the reality of living in a capitalist country who trades with Saudi Arabia. But 
you kind of look at that and say, well, no, that doesn't mean that football has to follow suit. Why can't football be kind of different from that? Um, and it is certainly concerning the extent to which the Saudi influence doesn't actually seem to be simply just like stagnating or waning, or it actually seems to be growing, not just in, in football and in other sports, really. But um, at Liverpool at the moment, there's a lot of sort of positive publicity around this issue, I think it's fair to say, but also kind of beyond that, you know, with, with the Qatar World Cup and the Newcastle takeover as well, um, there's still certainly a very uh, long way to go uh, in that respect. But hopefully those, those um, incidents or those cases can be valuable in the sense that they bring a lot of uh, attention to the issue but thanks um so much Paul for giving up your time to talk to us today I found it um really interesting especially uh, the inside info about uh, Van Dyke and, and Henderson <laughs> a little exclusive for us I suppose but um yeah I'll put the uh, link to uh, cop outs Twitter and Facebook profile uh, in the episode description uh, we're going to be back with another episode of all glows to plan later this week so stay tuned for that and remember to uh, rate the podcast five stars on Spotify and give it a positive view on any other podcast platform you might use. Uh, but yeah, that will be all for this week. So we'll see you again for episode 75 shortly. Take care.